On today's episode of Locked On Raptors, we continue our look back at some of the worst heartbreaks in Toronto Raptors history with maybe the first heartbreak in Toronto Raptors history, the Game 7 loss to the Philadelphia 76ers back in 2001 that wouldn't be avenged until 18 years later when Kawhi Leonard hit the shot. We'll dig into the Vince Carter miss. We'll dig into everyone being mad at Vince Carter for graduating school on the same day of Game 7. And what would have happened had the Raptors actually won that series and gone on to the conference finals against the Bucks? We'll dig into all that on today's show with Joseph Cacharo from The Score and Pound the Rock coming up in just a couple seconds. Let's go. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free time of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1232 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, August the 15th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors, and you can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast on all your favorite audio apps for free. We're also free on YouTube every day, so you can subscribe, look at my mug, and the mugs of my better-looking guests. And that's very much the case today, as we continue our look back at some of the greatest Toronto Raptors heartbreaks with a talk about the 2001 Game 7 loss to the Philadelphia 76ers in Philly, the Vince Carter miss. It was all downhill after this one, and joining me to talk about it all on your first listen of the day, of course, is our pal Joey Cash, Joseph Cacharo from the Pound the Rock podcast and The Score. How are you, my friend? I'm uh, doing well. Well, I was doing well until I was told I had to just drudge up some of the worst memories of my childhood for your pleasure and for the listening pleasure of those listening. So, uh, no, I'm doing well. I'm, uh, the, you know, this glare is really bothering me because I was hoping to have the skyline in the background for a great mm. background. And instead, it just looks like I'm in this cavernous, <laughs> like, void of whiteness. I don't know what this is. But yeah, uh, that's the we'll same thing with this window here. If you're looking at the video, the window to my left, uh, there's a nice like brick wall outside yeah. there that is usually yeah. a nice background when it's not too bright out, but it's a uh, blindingly bright outside today. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. just the, you got to deal with the weird backgrounds. It's what remote recording's all about, man. Yeah. Uh, I won't rate your room on this. However, I think it's pretty good. All things considered. Uh, yeah, it's so the living area. It's the living area. <laughs> on today's show, we are going to dig into the game seven loss to the Sixers, all the lead up, all that came after. But before we do that, Joe, I have a song to play to bring us in to introduce our greatest Raptors heartbreaks. I'm sorry in advance for the song. LeBron is like a tidal wave spinning over my head. A dozen put back misses and a brick by Fred. In order to become winners, had to trade beloved Double D. First round sweep by the Wizards, after Paul Pierce blocked Kyle Lowry. You're a heartbreaker, dream shaker, Dwayne Casey, don't you mess around with me. You're a heartbreaker, bitch trader, box taker, don't you mess around, Clangelo. 
All right, Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I, ta- I take back what I said about no longer feeling great because, uh, you know, I was dredging up bad memories for other people's pleasure. I feel great again. That was... Uh, I'm glad. I'm that, glad the song intended, fulfilled its intended purpose of brightening theme, the mood. Yeah, I am exhilarated. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's dive in then to some bad, sad feelings from our childhoods then. Uh, I think you're around the same age as me, Joe, maybe a little older. And so we're, I think, kind of in the same sweet spot where sports heartbreaks really, really hurt around this time. I was eight years old when this series was going down and when this loss took place. And so I guess let's begin before we get into Game 7 itself, which I watched the highlights of before we jumped on here. And boy, oh boy, was 2001 Eastern Conference basketball terrible. Uh, we'll get to that and examine the uh, the just the cavalcade of mid-range jump shots that bricked in this game. But... The series as a whole, the Raptors win the first round. They get into the, the second round for the very first time in uh, history. They beat the Knicks and the Alvin Williams end of game shot, all that fun stuff. One day we'll do, uh, looking back at like the opposite of heartbreaks, good moments in Raptors history, but this is way more fun, way more feelings uh, involved. So they go on, they play the Sixers, Allen Iverson's the MVP that season, and it's basically Allen Iverson and then four dudes playing defense around him. Strange team construction, but it worked, I guess. And the Raptors go in, of course, Vince Carter at the peak of his powers, Antonio Davis is on the team, uh, Chris Childs hanging around, hitting shots, uh, doing the thing, not messing up shot clock and game situations in this specific series which is nice um joe what's your recollection of this series beginning obviously you had the 50 pointers going back and forth between vince and ai you had the back and forth nature of the series i'll talk a little bit about game six and my personal experience with that but where were you what was your like situation in life what little uh what what was what was the size of the chair you were sitting in were you sitting in one of those plush chairs from little tykes or whatever where were you at watching this series i was 11 going on 12 Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you talk about sports heartbreak, the thing, it all boils down to expectation and belief, right? Like yep. if you, if the amount that you truly believe in a team or expect a team to win is going to determine how heartbreaking it is when they lose. Obviously there's also extenuating circumstances. If they lose on a buzzer beater, it's even worse, but like the core of it is how much do you believe in this team? Mm-hmm. And there were very few times before the Raptors, you know, became a perennial contender in the back half of the 2010s. There were very few times before that, actually ever, that at least I went into a season thinking, well, that like the Raptors have a chance to maybe not win a championship, but like go on a deep run. And Mm -hmm. the only time in my childhood where I truly believe that going into the playoffs was 2001. Because yeah. 2001, 2002, I, before the season, I thought they could get to the finals. But then once Vince got hurt and they went into the playoffs as a seven seed, at that point, it was, you know, you're hoping for a miracle, which they almost got in the first round against Detroit. But you didn't really go into that playoffs thinking they sure. could compete for even an Eastern Conference crown. Even though without Vince, they won like 18 of 19 yeah, games just to did. make it, which is they insane. <laughs> and the East was trash. Like you mentioned yeah. the 2001. Like you look at the two years after that. Um, one of the videos we did on the score YouTube page in our um, play it back series, we did the, the or the story behind, we did the Michael Jordan wizard years. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I mentioned in that video is that like people forget, but if you go back and look at the East in that early 2000s, <laughs> there was a stretch in Jordan's return 
when he had actually caught fire and the Wizards started winning games, where like people were realistically talking about Jordan's Wizards team as perhaps the like best team in the East and talking about like uh, a Jordan versus Kobe and Shaq finals because the obviously the Lakers were still a toast to the West and the East was that bad that it was like, well, if you have a good like a star and the team's decent, you could do it. Anyway, I digress. Point is, 2001 was the one time as a kid I went into the playoffs thinking like the Raptors, they could they could do they could get through the East. They can't beat the Lakers, but they can get through the East. And then obviously once they you know overcome that first mountain, slay that first dragon, beat the Knicks, finally win a playoff series, then you're really starting to believe the Sixers were the one seed that year, but they were by no means insurmountable. They had the MVP mm-hmm. and you know a bunch of role players basically. Um, there were also like a lot of cool, cool is uh, an interesting word to use, but storylines going into that series. <laughs> I don't know uh, anyone listening, if they're old enough or if anyone is old enough, if they even remember this, but there was the whole Charles Oakley, Tyron Hill uh, beef. I don't know if you remember right. that, where earlier, vaguely, in, that, very earlier vaguely. in that season, I, it might've even been just a couple weeks before the playoffs, uh, Charles Oakley, who was known and did have a reputation for coming after guys who owed him money in various gambling uh, related things. Charles I, I Oakley, missed the old NBA, man. Charles Oakley got suspended. <laughs> got suspended for a game. This was, this was, I think it was in April. Like it was close to when the playoffs started. I always remember this when I was a kid. He got suspended because in a game against the Sixers earlier in April or something, like Tyrone Hill had still owed him 20 grand and hadn't paid him yet. And Oakley <laughs> went and I can't remember if he, if he hit him or he like hit him with the ball, but uh-huh. he did some sort of like, whether it was with his hands or the ball, he hit Tyrone Hill in some fashion mm-hmm. in a morning shoot around or something before a Raptors Sixers game in April. And it ended up with Oakley getting suspended. So there was that storyline coming in, like Oakley as the debt collector. Um, <laughs> obviously, it was Vince AI, like two of the young stars coming up. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a thrill early on. Like the Raptors stole game one in Philly. Uh, then AI comes back and, and drops 54 in game two to even the series game three for me is is my personal highlight of the series because Vince drops 50 on my 12th birthday. Hell and yeah. That's all, yeah, that's also the game when uh, he had set what well, at the time was the record for the most three-pointers in a playoff game. He hit nine. Mm-hmm. Um, then they lose game four at home. AI is another 50-plus point game, and I think game five had like 52 yeah. or something, and the, and the Philly wins that game by like 33. Like they get destroyed in that game. Come back for game six. Vince has a great game. Raps win fairly easily, and now it's going to seven. But, um, yeah, it was it was a back-and-forth series early. It was two stars trading, honestly, mat, like playoff masterpieces mm-hmm. in games two, three, and five, which is cool. But the one thing I will say, and I feel like a lot of people forget this, you know, as time goes by, and you just remember it as like this great Carter-Iverson duel, is that, like, but neither player was their best in that series. You remember right. the 50 plus games, but go back and look at the efficiency of each player in that series. Like even game seven, you know, where an Iverson's team got the best of Vince's team. I think yeah. Iverson shot like under 30% in that yeah, game. Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah. And it, it's another reason I know why I'm assuming we'll get to it later with the graduation stuff, but like it's another reason why I laugh and just think it's ridiculous when people try to correlate Vince leaving early that day for his graduation with him having a poor game seven or whatever. Cause like, 
if you actually look at it, yes, he didn't shoot the ball well, and he ended up, I think he scored like 20. I went back and looked at the the box score, and it ends up like 20 points on 22 possessions. So obviously not yeah. efficient, not what you want from your star in a game seven, but it was better than Iverson. And also Vince had nine assists and zero turnovers in that game. And like, yeah. if you look at game, I think it was game four of the series or game two, Vince shot like eight of 27, and he didn't have a, gradu- <laughs> he didn't have a graduation that day. So... Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a fun series, back and forth, two stars coming up, all this. But I do want to remind people to like take in the full context of that series. It is not like Vince and AI were just trading haymakers the whole time and both playing unbelievable. And then, oh, Vince went to his grad and had a stinker in Game 7. No, he had multiple stinkers in that series. And Game 7 actually was one of his better games in that series when you include the playmaking and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so just the, to, to go through the stat lines, Vince plays 48 minutes, as does AI. They both play the whole game. Uh, 20 points for Vince, 7 boards, 9 assists, 3 steals, 2 blocks, 6 of 18, uh, but he goes to the line 8 of 9. So, like, actually not a terrible overall game for a Game 7 where things are notoriously ugly. You People forget Kawhi Leonard shot, like, a thousand times in Game 7 against the Sixers. Didn't have his most efficient game, but, like, you just do what you gotta do to get it done. Uh, AI goes 8 of 27, only gets to the line, goes 4 of 4. Uh, 16 assists for him in that one and he scores 21 trivia for you Vince and AI are actually the third and fourth highest scoring players in this game can you name the leading scorers on the other uh, there's two guys who uh, one on each team who finished with more points in that game than Vince and AI can you name those players Del Curry no Del oh. Curry only uh, seven points oh mm-hmm uh, I do remember the Del Curry. I don't know if anyone remembers Del Curry hit a pull up three. One yeah. of the first Mike Breen bang moments in Raptors history. Hell yeah. Was Del Curry. <laughs> I think Vince got the steal. Raps were down four with like a minute left. Vince gets yep. the steal, tosses ahead to Del Curry. He's going on like a one on two, one on three break. And this is 2001. This is pre his son, Steph. Like no one's expecting him to pull up. And Del Curry stops on a dime pops a three hits it and all that so yeah. it's a one point game anyway and mike green yeah. gave us the bang which was great um but the, the leading score okay antonio davis correct he led all uh, scores in this game 23 points on 11 of 15 watching back the highlights he's like draining 18 footers off the, dude, uh, like pulling up like he was awesome antonio davis averaged like 17 and 10 in this series with a block yeah. and a steal per game antonio davis was great in this series um and man was it eric snow it was not Eric Snow. Uh, Eric Snow did play 34 minutes off the bench. It was Aaron McKee, 22 points, wow. five boards, seven assists. Oh, sorry, f- seven assists, zero, seven boards, zero assists, five defensive boards. I'm reading the stat line wrong here. Either way, he played 45, 45 minutes of Aaron McKee in a game you win. Wild stuff. I think uh, Vince and AI era. both played 48, did they not? They did, yeah. They both yeah. played the whole game. Um, and so for me, like my personal experience with the lead up to game seven, I was actually at game six with my nice. grandpa. Uh, nice. watching that game. It was nuts. It was like the coolest sporting event I've ever been to. I think they went 102.87, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, yeah, like huge Vince game, just uh, really thrilling. One of those playoff games where it's nice to not feel like there's stakes. Like they, obviously there were stakes. It was an elimination game, but they were in control of it basically throughout and so it was kind of just like a celebration of the team in a lot of ways going into the game seven so i fondly recall that 
We're going to take a look at Game 7 and all that went wrong in just one second here, Joe. But first, I want to tell people about our friends over at BetOnline.net, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. And you uh, have all of the wonderful things to, you know, to make yourself an informed wager. you got odds, lines, everything that you might need. You go and check it out. They have it. You covered for all the major sports leagues, esports, combat sports, golf. It's all there for you. It's the top of the game when it comes to giving you all the information you need. You get injury reports, podcasts, breaking things down. You can be the informed wagerer. Unlike me, whenever I go and put money down on uh, sports, I, I just uh, I fail miserably at it. So uh, don't be like me. Go to Bet Online. Get the information you need to make the right bets and win some money. Head to Bet Online today, or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action happening today. Bet online is where the game starts. And we continue on here gonna, with your first listen. Can you give me like 10 seconds, Willie? Because while you were reading that ad, I got a knock at the door. This is live podcasting, baby. This is what it's about. I'm going to mute, <laughs> yes, mute my I mic. I will vamp. I will vamp. Just let whoever's uh, at my door know door, that uh, I'm talking about game fine. seven in 2001. <laughs> Hoping everything's fine with Joe. I'll probably edit this part out of the podcast if I'm being totally honest. But uh, yeah, Game 7, Raptors-Sixers. Let's pull up the box score once again. The Raptors lose 88-87 to to Philadelphia. Uh, again, Allen Iverson goes for 21. Vince goes for 20. You've got Charles Oakley with 11 points. Alvin Williams with 8 points on 4 of 11. Mo Pete. Starts this game, only plays 19 minutes. Chris Childs, JYD, Del Curry off the bench for the Raptors. For the Sixers, it's Tyrone Hill starting. Uh, you get, uh, oh God, what, Jermaine Jones is the Jones in the, t- in the team here. Dikembe Mutombo, Allen Iverson, Aaron McKee. You get Rodney Buford coming off the bench. You got Todd McCullough, shout out to Canada. Kevin Ollie, Eric Snow, and... Uh, Joe's back. Cool. Uh, <laughs> I was just reading some guys. How about that? Remembering yeah, you, some guys while you answer the door. Just adding to the heartbreak because you you lost the game seven. You lost the most heartbreaking series in franchise history to that team. It's just yeah, Rodney Buford coming in and just ruining you with uh, I guess just three minutes of action. Really, they play a six man rotation. Does Philly in this game? It's just Hill, Jones, Matumbo, Iverson, McKee, and then Eric Snow, thirty four. Ollie, McCullough, and Buford combined for eight total minutes. So really tight rotation. The Raptors go with an eight man deep. Anyway, game seven. Joey Cash, I guess we should just start at, like, the most important part of Game 7, which is the end of Game 7. It's a nasty game, like, mid-range jumpers for days. Both teams shoot pretty horribly, um, although I guess Antonio Davis kind of helped boost up the, the shooting percentages for the Raptors in this one. They go 4 of 14 from three-point range. The Sixers go 2 of 8, in case you were curious of what the era is that this game took place in. Uh, what are your recollections of Game 7? And I guess we can just sort of talk about where it all went wrong on that final play with Vince. So I remember they went down early. Um, yeah. they, they were down double digits like quickly within a few minutes of the first quarter. And yeah. 31 remember, 21 after the first for Philly. I remember very early, like, again, I'm 12. I'm sitting there, you know, early on starting to get really nervous. Like, oh my God, they're going to get blown out. Uh, <laughs> you know, they were already down double digits a few minutes in. And then they just kind of slowly clawed back. And at, like one point late in the third quarter, they took the lead on a pretty awesome Vince Carter and one. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I was getting, I was going nuts. Also, the day of Game Seven, my aunt gave birth. So my little cousin, also named Joseph Cacharo, uh, mm-hmm. was born that day. So my family uh, was gonna go to the hospital to like visit mm-hmm. my aunt and like meet my cousin and everything. And we were like basically waiting for that Game Seven to end. We ended up leaving 
to go to the hospital and I watched the fourth quarter of game seven on a hospital, uh, like on a TV in a hospital, like family room. So yeah. Uh, my, my cousin's, my cousin's birthday, unfortunately brings back some, some bad, you know, happy, but bad memories too, because, uh, th- that's what I remember from game seven. And uh, we all and have then, that one cousin. It's fine. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not a problem. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, then, you know, like I said, it's kind of like it feels like it's out of reach. They claw back. They take the lead in the third quarter for a few seconds, but they're in it. It's a one-possession game, a lot of the fourth quarter. Then it seems like, okay, maybe they're done again. Del Curry brings them back with that pull-up three I was talking about. And, um, I, I, again, it was it was about the belief. Like, I, mm-hmm. as that fourth quarter wore on, I still believed. I thought they could do it. And that is truly what makes heartbreak, right? Like, Yep. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to think about in my life, you know, as a Toronto sports fan, a sports fan in general, when I think about it, like if we're talking Toronto only, if I think about moments where it like really hurt for me, it's like, you know, people will talk about the 93 leaves. I was four years old. I knew it was sad and I liked sport, but like I didn't, I wasn't invested enough to know how devastating it was. So as, but as, as I started getting older, I'd say the 2004 leaves, Losing to Philly in the second round. Oh, Jer- my Jeremy God. Roenick I dancing cried. After- yeah, Jer- Jeremy Roenick dancing after the OT goal. Because I truly believe, remember they got like Leach at the deadline. Like I truly believe that Leach team could win the cup. And they yep. lost. 2015 Blue Jays losing in KC. Because again, that team just felt like such a team of destiny. That like, and again, the 2001 Raptors, I, I don't put on the same level of those teams like where I thought they could win the championship. But sure. for a relatively new franchise who had only been around, you know, this was I think their sixth season with Vince at the height of his powers and all of us being like Vince obsessed kids for that team and that era, just in our minds, like the thought that they could be a finals team and playing in the NBA finals against the Shaq and Kobe Lakers almost was the same as thinking like the 2004 Leafs could win the actual cup or the, you know, mm-hmm. 2015 Blue Jays could win it all. Like the Raptors even getting to that point in the playoffs at that point in their existence felt like something that was so special and I believe they could do it. So not getting that, you know, and being robbed of it in such a cruel way on a, like a potential buzzer beater that rims out. The heartbreak is just, it, it's, uh, it's on another level, man. And really like, I know, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to talk about all of them in various episodes. I know there are other moments in Raptors history is game six in New Jersey or sorry, game six. Uh, yeah. Game six in New Jersey in 2007, the game seven loss to the Nets when Pierce blocked Lowry. Uh, obviously, game one against the Cavs in 2018. Uh, <laughs> the Celtics lost game seven, 2020. I think you can put that up there in terms of belief. But, you know, like how many of those did you truly believe the Raptors could get to the finals if they got through that? Maybe, maybe two of those that I mentioned. Maybe. Yeah. 2001, yeah. like that's where it was. Like they, we, we thought that's what could happen if they could get by Philly. If they, we were pretty confident that's what happened if they could get by Philly. And again, it's just having that belief robbed from you. You know, it's it's one thing when your team loses. It's another thing when there's like a little part of you that's almost telling you no, like they won't lose. Like something like this is the team, you know? And when you truly buy into that and they still lose, whew, that's tough. Yeah, for sure, man. It, it was 
you know, I don't think I maybe had the same attachment to this team. I was like eight, right? So I'm still not quite at like peak 11, 12, 13 year old maniac fandom. Um, but I do think, you know, that this certainly stands out as one of the bigger disappointments just because, yeah, it, it did feel like the team is here. The team has arrived. The team is not a joke anymore. The team is like a real functioning part of the NBA ecosystem for the very first time. And to have that sort of very short fervor cut short and then to have it never really get back to that spot. I think that's the thing that kind of like breaks my heart the most is that they never really did it again, right? Like this was the apex of this era of the team. And when you had a player as good as Vince Carter, like that's a massive disappointment. Like I think you could look back at those teams and say they underperformed what they should have done the the length of their window. And yeah, injuries played a big part. The mismanagement of Vince and the roster and all that played a huge part as well. Um, but I think that is sort of the biggest heartbreak of it all is like, that series offered plenty of great moments. You know, I'll remember game six for the rest of my life. You know, you had the Vince 50 burger, all that stuff. But for that to never, like for that to be the height of that whole era is where I kind of get the most depressed. And then, you know, the final play, we should probably just dig into that. Vince misses the jumper. I, I don't know. I feel like what else are you supposed to ask for? You get an open Vince Carter jumper in 2001. Like that's as close yeah. to money as you're going to get. Do you have any misgivings about the way the playoff unfolded? Do you have like a, a preferred alternate reality? Uh, use Vince as a decoy, get it to Antonio Davis, who was red hot that night. Like what, where are you at with like how that play went down? Is there any retconning of it that you would do to sort of give the Raptors a better shot at winning the game? Honestly, probably not. I mean, Look, with the hindsight of it, you know, all we know about basketball now and it being 2022, would I have, like, hoped for some more, you know, misdirections and stuff going off, off screens, off the ball, like, unrelated to Vince that could have, you know, talk about Vince being a decoy, maybe things that could have been a decoy to actually take some attention off of Vince, right? If you've got some sure. actions going around, going on over here that trick the Sixers into thinking, holy shit, that's where the ball's going, and then maybe you get – a. Vince in a better spot like I don't know there are, of course we can figure out ways to get a cleaner look but at the end of the day he caught it on the move the pump fake got him pretty free he got a pretty good look at the bucket yeah Tyrone Hill is like five like postal codes yeah. in the corner after yeah. this pump fake like it's yeah. a very good pump fake <laughs> he Tyrone Hill got lost as if he like Charles Oakley was coming to collect again that's how far <laughs> Tyrone Hill ran away after that pump fake and so I don't know, man. It, it was a pretty open shot. And he just, it was it was strong and too you know too strong on a night when Vince's jumper wasn't good. And I don't know, like maybe maybe like to your point, AD was hot that night. I mentioned his numbers. That he had a great series. Maybe you get him a look inside, or like find a way to get it to him inside. There was a few seconds on the clock, but I don't, I think given what Vince had become by that point, his stature in the game, what he had meant to the franchise, the team, the season, I don't think anyone can quibble with how that game ended in terms of like the decision made to put it in his hands and hope for the best and it almost worked um yeah i will say one thing you do when when you're dealing with sports heartbreak is like the like tiniest things of a game especially in a game that ends up a one-point game can mm -hmm. haunt you for so long and for the longest time like as i got older i came to really respect charles oakley and his whole like tough guy thing like i did <laughs> love what he brought to that team but for the longest time when i was a kid and going into my teens because of this game i actually couldn't stand Charles Oakley and it's because <laughs> there was a play and this is how petty it was there was a play in the first quarter of game seven like I'm talking six seven minutes in where Vince gets this crazy athletic steal 
it's like a half block, half steal where he like comes in from behind and blocks. I can't remember who, and also kind of corrals it and it bounces around and Charles Oakley gets it. So the Raptors have gotten a block steal, whatever you turnover, whatever you want to call it. And Charles Barkley's now under his own basket. And for mm-hmm. whatever reason, he kind of like stumbles. And this is again, Charles Oakley, the whole point of they had brought him in is for his toughness and like the veteran leadership presence, mm-hmm. all this. He shouldn't be making these mistakes. Charles Oakley is kind of like falling ish towards the baseline. And instead of just falling or like throwing it out of bounds somewhere else, he tries to save it. And I don't know if he was hoping mm. there would be a sixer there he could throw it off of or hoping a Raptor would be there, but they had started going up the court. And he straight up just tosses the ball back under his basket while he's falling out of bounds. And the only two guys were there was another sixer and Allen Iverson. And Iverson gets yeah. the ball and lays it up uncontested. And is it, you know, sicko mode of me to still remember in detail <laughs> that play from the first quarter of game seven, 21 years later? Yes, but that's part of being a sports obsessed person. But like for like two years after that, I held such a grudge against Charles Oakley because I was like, man, if he just doesn't make that decision in that moment, like they end up winning by one again. Obviously, you get older, you mature, you think about the game differently. And it's also like, well, you know, if the if the two if there had been a two point difference in that game, maybe the Sixers play it differently, or they do something right. different at some right. point, and they still end up losing. So, uh, can't put too much stock in it. But there there was like a two year period where I couldn't stand Charles Oakley because of that one play <laughs> in the first quarter of Game Seven that I couldn't believe like the veteran presence guy made. I mean, I don't think that's too petty. I'm a person who does not like Patrick Patterson mostly because of a thing he did in a game the Raptors won to close a series where he traveled on, or was this against the, never mind, it wasn't a game they lost, it was against the Cavs, where he traveled on a wide open three that he could have just taken. Instead, he like took a step in and and, like that just ruined Patrick Patterson in my brain forever. On that note, that sounds like a thing Patrick Patterson would have done, the the Oakley thing on the baseline. Uh, Sorry to Patrick Patterson catching strays. We're going to come back in just a sec, dig into what would have happened had the Raptors actually won this game and this series Do things go down the tubes the way they eventually did for the franchise? We will dig into that in just one sec. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Locked On Blue Jays. Go check them out. Ben and Matt over there doing a great job covering the Jays each and every day as uh, this is airing August the 15th. By now, I'm guessing their win streak is up to like 25 games or something like that. So go and listen. They've caught the Yankees. That's obviously done and and over with. They have Luis Castillo and Shohei Otani on the team. It's really awesome. We're really enjoying the Blue Jays, and so are Ben and Matt on Locked On Blue Jays. Go check it out wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Joe. What happens if the Raptors win this series? You know, I think we can probably assume they beat the Bucs. Uh, it was the Ray Allen Bucks, the Glenn Robinson Bucks. They were fine. I don't think they were like any great shakes necessarily. Uh, the Sixers, if I recall, dispatched them pretty comfortably. It went and seven. It went seven. It did go seven. Yeah. Man, maybe I just blanked that and, out because I was so sad I didn't watch the rest and it of the was, playoffs. <laughs> it was very much like an Iverson-Ray Allen duel. Like Ray Allen right, was right. awesome in that series, yeah. I, right. think, I think it would have been a now great series, but me. I think yes. the Raptors win it. I think the Raptors win it, but yeah. I do think it would have been a great series. Yeah, I think Vince would have been the best player in the series, as great as Ray Allen was. I think, um, you know, the Raptors had some pretty good depth on that team, honestly. Like, they, they rolled pretty deep, even though it was rolling deep in dudes who, you know, took 18-footers all the time. That's just the way every team was rolling at that time. So, you know, <laughs> they weren't special. 
Um, but yeah, what, what do you think happens if they go on, let's say they beat the Bucks, they get swept by the Lakers in the finals, which surely would have happened. But, um, you know, is, is there a different sort of outcome for the franchise? Because as we mentioned, this is kind of the peak of the Vince era. The following season, he gets hurt. The ragtag crew of dudes barely scrapes into the playoffs, almost beats the Pistons, but then is dispatched. And then we don't really ever hear from the Raptors doing anything relevant ever again after that. Where are you at in terms of what would have happened had things gone differently in that Game 7? If Vince hits that shot, where does it all go from there? I don't think much would have changed in the in the course of history in terms of what came after that. Like, you know, Vince's knee probably still bothers him the following year and, and leads to a bunch of issues. And management is still the same. Like, I think everything still goes the way it goes. Vince ends up leaving in a few years. They end up, you know, down in the dumps for fears. Like, I, I don't think the course of Raptors history changes that much, but I do think obviously the way we think about it and the way people in general and the league thought about the Raptors for a long time would have been different, right? If they already had, if Vince, if Vince would have been thought about different, if Vince had a series winning buzzer beater on his resume in a game seven, something that when Kawhi did it later was the first time in NBA history it had happened, right? Vince would have been mm-hmm. the first to hit a game mm-hmm. seven buzzer beater. Um, uh, like the way the Raptors are thought of as, that like loser franchise in the 2000s if they have in the in the resume hey that remember that finals run or like even just in people's collective nostalgia and memories if it's like the average nba fan thinking back to that lakers three-peat and one of them is like the raptors are in the finals and it's vince Carter. like those things in terms of how people like think about a franchise associate success with the franchise like those things matter so i think in terms of Vince's legacy and how people in general thought about the Raptors for a long period of time, I think it would have been different and much better. But I don't think much would have changed in the in the sense of like what came next for the Raptors. But in NBA history, if that had happened, you know, no Allen Iverson step over over Tyron Lue in game one of the That's 2001 true. finals. Like Allen Iverson's You're legacy. You're welcome, world. <laughs> Dude, Allen Iverson's legacy looks a lot different if they don't get to the finals that year. Like, I know he won MVP yeah. and stuff, but you take that 2001 playoff run out, Allen Iverson's playoff history is not great. And I'm not here sure. to throw shade at AI. You know, I, the inefficiency and whatever, I still love the guy. And the guy, he had a heart of a lion, but his playoff resume would, quite frankly, stink if it wasn't for that 2001 run. So I actually think in terms of altering the course of history, it, it would have been more on the Sixers side. You could also remember the Sixers hadn't been to the conference finals in a long time. Like, yeah, the Raptors were a new franchise, only six years old. The Sixers at the time were like the team with the drought. I think they hadn't been to the East finals since the 80s when right. that probably their last title, right? It like, might have been in 83. Yeah. yeah. So but at the very latest, like mid 80s. So because I remember even being a kid and hearing about that on like the American broadcast at the time, right? About like the Sixers drought and they haven't, and then now they haven't made these finals since then. So mm-hmm. um, it's more Sixers history that I think would have been altered where it's like, now we'd be looking at them having not made the East finals in almost 40 years, if it wasn't for that, or, you know, AI's yeah. playoff legacy doesn't look as good. Like there are a lot of things that would have been altered more. So I think in, on Philly side than the Raptors future. I do wonder if just like the general like vibe and tone and tenor and like the, the view of Vince in the fan base, like I can promise you one thing. If they win this series, we never hear about the graduation thing that we're still talking about 20 years later 
ever again. Like, it's done, is dead. Forever, we're never talking about it, which would be great because it's exhausting and stupid. Um, but I do wonder, like, if... Because we're at that time, right? It's that time of, you know, like, it's still, like, still a new basketball market. You got, like, moron hockey columnists covering the team in a lot of cases. Like, I feel like the just general treatment of Vince within the market would have been much different had the graduation thing not happened, had they not lost this game. And I do wonder if that, like, would have played into him, like, maybe not quitting on the team. Like, yeah, he got hurt. Sure, you can't avoid injuries, but, like... He very obviously quit on the team, said he wasn't going to dunk anymore. All this stuff, found his way to get a trade out of town, lowered his value as low as it could be, and then just became incredible, uh, which, by the way, we're going to talk about his villain return with Vivek later this week. Um, that'll be fun. But yeah, just uh, I do wonder if there's like a course of history where even if the next year plays out the way it did, where Vince gets hurt, but maybe instead of it being like a sour feeling about Vince being hurt, it's more of a, wow, look how inspiring this was that this team, without their best player, who just led them to the finals the year prior, goes and makes this run, almost beats the Pistons in the playoffs, and then, you know, you kind of go into the next season with a bit of a clean slate. Instead, it just kind of hangs over the team, the injury stuff, and, you know, within a couple of years, it's all kind of over and done with. I, I do think there's probably, maybe not 100%, like, it doesn't happen 100% of the time if this happens, but, like, I do think there is an avenue where this sort of v feeling... And the like the vitriol towards Vince is just like non-existent if they go on and make the finals this season or even win this Sixers series. And maybe that does change how the, the exit goes. Maybe it just means that they get more for him in a trade than Aaron and Eric Williams and Alonzo Mourning and whatever. So I, I, I do think about that one quite a bit. You know, the... the the nice thing is that it made the, the Kawhi Leonard shot all the more satisfying when it happened, to, you know, 18 years later and all that. And that was pretty fun. I know when I wrote my book, uh, breaking down the finals, like there was a whole piece of there before game seven, kind of bringing it back to 2001. It made some very easy poetry and symmetry for me as I was doing that on a time crunch. Um, and yeah, it just uh, tough stuff, tough, tough stuff to see them lose that one and all that could have happened afterwards. Again, had there been another playoff run afterwards. I bet we don't look at, as that, at it as such a heartbreak. It's more of a sort of building block to more things. But now that it's sort of the first and only high point of the first, I don't know, 20 years of the franchise's history, it is a bit of a sad moment to look back on because they really could have gone further than that. Yeah. And uh, I will say, as you just like reminisce on all the Raptors heartbreak in 2001 in general, like you talk about the 2019 Kawhi shot, just in general, that 2019 run, obviously becomes more satisfying when you've got the collective trauma and heartbreak that Raptors fans have had. Right. And it's something yeah. I've always said where it's like it. Yeah. Does it sound kind of masochistic? Yes. But that's what, guess what? That's if like true sports fandom. That's what it is, man. Because yeah. you're Mess going me up sports. Yeah. Because you're going <laughs> like, even when I talk about having belief and all that, you're still at the end of the day, pinning all this belief and hope and expectation into one team out of 30-ish in whatever league yep. you're like winning it, right? Like the, the the odds are still stacked against you ultimately having satisfaction. And so um, the one thing I've always said to people is like, man, like in, I'm not saying celebrate the, the bad time. Obviously they suck, <laughs> they hurt in the moment, but like you need to appreciate those like shitty feelings and stuff because it'll also make you appreciate them winning more. Like if you truly felt the pain of the worst times, man, you're going to love the feeling of the best time because it's going to feel so validating and so like cathartic. Whereas like, if you kind of like brush off, like, you know, if you like pretend you don't care about whatever the case may be, 
you're you're almost robbing yourself of of the the ultimate satisfaction when they win. Now I know the sure. easy the the counter there is like, well, then what if your team just never wins? Then you're shit out of luck and you're just sad forever. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Could it be us? Because we did witness the team win. Corey, so, Utah, or whatever the hell you might be listening from where you did not experience that. But I think people know what I mean. Like, it's, yeah. uh, it's you know, part of being a sports fan is more often than not, you're it's going to end in disappointment and stuff. But, man, if your team gets to the top of the mountain even just once, it makes it all worth it. Well, you've tapped into the exact premise of this entire series of episodes we're doing while I'm away. Uh, it's fun to be sad about sports because it makes the happy parts that much better. And uh, this was a great, great chat, Joe. I'm going to let you go because we've done the pound the rock thing where we went longer than we said we were going to. It just seemed thematically on point. So we're <laughs> yeah. going to round it out there. Anything you would like to promote for the good people out there before we wrap this bad boy up? Uh, just the usual stuff. Um, sure, people out there already have it, but download the Score app. Read myself and Joe Wolfon's features uh, in the Score NBA section on the app. Subscribe to the Score on YouTube. We do a bunch of fun stuff there. Unfiltered series, take this in, play it back, and the story behind. And then also uh, download, subscribe to Pound the Rock, the uh, Score NBA podcast that Joe Wolfon and myself uh, provide. It's If you're a Toronto sports fan, I think it's a or Toronto basketball fan, a Raptors fan, Pound the Rock, I think it's a good way for you to catch up on things around the league because Wolfon and I don't cover the Raptors. We cover the NBA, which is pretty unique for being based in Canada. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's it for my plugs. Appreciate guys, the time, Woodley. Yeah, man. I'll, I'll, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. It is the, like the best NBA podcast. It's just it's the facts of life. Go listen to Pound the Rock. It's fantastic. We're going to wrap it there, though. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back again later this week to talk about the Vinch trade and the return and all the horrible feelings tied up in that as I drudge up my feelings of watching Jim Taddy deliver the news that Vince had been traded to the Nets on Global News at 7. Uh, that'll be a blast. So you have that to look forward to. And uh, with that, we'll round it out. Thank you so much for tuning in. Making us your first listen of the day. Go make your second listen locked on NBA as they are covering the league all across the week, uh, five days a week throughout the offseason with all the big stories and previews of the humming season and all that. So go check them out, and we'll round it up there. Talk to you on Wednesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>